Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Tim Geisenheimer, founder and CEO of Correlated. Today, we will be covering three main topics. First, the evolution of product-led growth from a sales perspective. Second, the opportunity in product-led growth companies for B2B sales. And third, how B2B sales organizations need to prepare for their role in product-led growth era. Tim, Please take a moment to give a brief background and overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Thanks, Ray. I uh, really appreciate you having me. Yeah, I've spent my career in sales as a, a sales leader and, and before that, an individual contributor. I really got my start in this particular product-led growth space a few years ago when I joined an early stage company that had a product-led growth model. And sort of frustration I felt there as a first sales hire building a team was I really didn't have a good feel for what my customers were doing with our product and in product-led growth, that's essential. So following my uh, stint there at that company called Timescale, I ended up starting Correlated to help build this platform to help sales teams at product-like growth companies be successful in doing sales. So yeah, that's my background. I'm excited to be here today. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And let's zoom out for a minute because you've been directly involved in leading sales at a product-led growth company. So the first question I have for you, Tim, is how would you describe the evolution of PLG as a customer acquisition and expansion motion? from a B2B sales leader's perspective? Yeah, it's a great question. And so, you know, when I joined that company, Timescale, I started to put in kind of what I had known as a lifelong sort of salesperson and, and sales leader, sort of, sort of a more top-down sales approach where sort of the marketing funnel is well-established. You go from MQL to SQL and you progress sales deals down a, a pretty linear path towards close. And I think the biggest change that PLG and product growth represents is that the way customers are buying products is, is really changing dramatically. And the biggest change is that these products are self-service. And so people uh, at companies and users can start using products like Zoom or Slack or any number of different developer tools products uh, without having to talk to a salesperson. They can get to a ton of value as a result. But all of these products and companies do have sales teams. And the sales teams have to know how those customers are using the products, how the end users are using the products to be effective. And at Timescale, that was sort of the big light bulb that went off for me to realize that we needed to have access to that product data. And I think that's the big change that's happening uh, for sales teams. They realize they have to be more data-driven, understand how their customers are using the product and adjust as a result. Well, let's go a little bit deeper. And from a sales perspective, both the threats and opportunities that they see with product-led growth. Because Tim, you mentioned a lot of the initial customer acquisition, even if it's in a freemium or a free trial, right? they don't interact with sales. So a lot of sales leaders I've talked to, and especially individual sales reps, are very concerned that their jobs will be changed dramatically in a PLG growth environment. What's your perspective on both the threats and the opportunities for sales? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think the good news from my perspective is that sales is, is actually more needed than ever in these kinds of companies and product-led growth companies. That's what we're seeing in our customers that have this model that sales is really important. I think the skills and, and some of the ways that the tactics and strategies that you employ in sales are, are changing though. And so, you know, one of the opportunities before maybe I get into threats, uh, one of the opportunities I would say for sales is that being more of a product consultant, understanding um, what you're selling more intimately than maybe you did before will really help you get a leg up because your customer already knows a lot about your product since they're you know, typically already using it. And as a result, if you, if you have that knowledge, if you're able to really dig in with your customer, understand their use of the product and what they need to get even more value by working with you on the sales side, then you can really be set up for success and be you know quite successful in one of these types of companies. I think the threats are if you don't adjust to kind of this new reality and you're trying to take the old approach like I initially did at Timescale, I think you could be in for a rooted awakening. So, you know, I'm a big believer in, in lifelong learning. And, and I think uh, anyone who is in sales and, and sort of more traditional B2B role today that wants to adjust this new world should start to take into account the need to understand data and understand how customers are using your product and be more of a product consultant, if at all possible. A lot to kind of break apart there. So let me start with the first one. Over the last 10 years in the B2B SaaS and cloud industry, one of the biggest challenges we've seen has been building pipeline. And our field sales reps and even our inside sales reps prefer to spend their time on closing deals versus building new pipelines. So we invested in creating this sales development function, which their primary responsibility is going outbound to their target ICP and create interests and create meetings. Do you think sales development reps as an initial stage in B2B sales career, is that a function at risk? Great question. I, I don't think so. I think that the sort of the tactics change a bit, but I think the role is still important. But I do think, you know, there are obviously differences depending on the type of company. But for, let's take a, one of these newer product-led companies, companies like Slack or Zoom, for example, they're actually swimming in sort of inbound leads. They have more sort of inbound than they kind of can handle, even with large, for these companies that are public companies, or in Slack's case, just recently acquired by Salesforce, they, they have large teams as well. But even so, they have more inbound interest than they can sort of deal with. And so the role of these SDR sales development reps is basically to try and qualify that inbound and understand which of those inbound leads and, and the people who are using the product today are most likely to convert to being a good sales opportunity for their uh, A. So I do think that role is still important. It just takes on maybe less of an outbound function that, that exists in a lot of more traditional enterprise software companies today and a bit more of an inbound function. Well, Tim, one of the things you said was some of the companies may need to be changed. So my concern for early career sales professionals is the way that they're onboarded today, there's a lot of training on in the enablement process of the market, the buyer, sales techniques, but they don't go deep often on product feature function, especially how a technical buyer uses a product. Do you think we need to kind of change the entire onboarding and sales enablement process and a PLG motion to be more product centric versus sales and value focused? I think so. I mean, I, I think the value piece can come in, especially for larger enterprise deals. And that still has its place and, and is important in many of these companies. When you start to look at the mid-market and on up uh, in a larger enterprise deals, even though you have a lot of usage, you still have to certainly use that as a, you know, as a part of building your case, but you still have to use some of that traditional framework that you just mentioned. At the same time, I think some of the newer things you need to do as an entry-level salesperson or early salesperson in your career in these companies is because 
become intimately familiar with the product because your customer is. And so, you know, understanding that your customer already knows everything about the product or a lot about the product because they're using it every day and getting value from it. If you're not able to sort of take that knowledge and, and translate it into how you're going to add it even more value, then that's going to hurt you uh, in your career. So I, I would argue that both are important and, and the sort of newer piece is something that hasn't been done before, which is that focus on the product education side. And do you see, I know I keep digging on this one because it just, it really enthralls me about the evolution of the B2B sales profession for PREC-led growth. Do you think customer success resources or even pre-sales consultants, that they're going to possibly move into the initial stage of customer conversion from free to paid and that they'll be in the lead as much as an account executive will be? It's a great question. I mean, I don't think customer success as much will be. I think there should be that dividing line between sort of the customer success role, you know, being really your consultant once you're sort of signed on, typically for larger deals or, or in the mid-market, less so for the SMB or kind of the quote-unquote leads in a, in a PLG business. I do see, especially for very technical products, pre-sales or solutions engineers being involved even in a product-led growth type company early on. And I, I do think that will continue. The more you can have you know, individuals in your company that may not have a sales title, but you know, effectively helping do sales who are very knowledgeable at the product and who can work with customers to you know, make them successful with the product, the, the better. And so I do think that that type of role, um, while it might not have the quote-unquote sales title, will, will be very important and increasingly important moving forward. It's really interesting. We talked about sales development. Let me go into some of the evolution of both process and platforms over the last five years, and then how that's going to play out in PLG from your perspective, Tim. Think about the sales engagement platforms like Outreach and SalesLoft. In fact, some big financing announcements in the last couple of days at multi-billion dollar valuations for both Outreach and Gong. Are those platforms that are focused on cadence and sequences, et cetera, are they going to be as important and valuable in this new PLG model? Or do they have to change some of their underlying feature functionality? I'm really bullish on, on Outreach. They're one of our early partners. We're, we're lucky to be you know, working with them uh, in our product. And I do think that type of technology and, and what a tool like Outreach enables will be even more important moving forward. To go into just a very quick level of detail on what you know, we're doing with them, basically by taking how your customers are using your product and some of those signals that you can glean from that and then tying that to outreach, you're able to actually send emails automatically when your customer does something in your product that comes directly from the salesperson or potentially from the customer success person. And so it really allows you to, to gain scale um, that you weren't able to have when people were manually writing emails. And so obviously people are doing that today with outreach and that's why they have such a, a great business so far. And I think they'll be able to really make that transition to PLG as well. And having the ability to send, you know, sort of individual personalized messages to your customers based on what they're doing in the product, we think is a, a huge opportunity for our customers and, and for outreach customers as well. So let me let me back up a minute. So let me understand this, because I've been talking on the Metrics to Measure podcast with a lot of both product-led growth and product analytics leaders. And one of the things we've heard is you, know, you have these activation points in the PLG customer acquisition motion. And at that activation point, it's a perfect time to reach out. But of course, you might have to reach out three to four times, maybe more. So what you're saying is the information from a product analytics platform goes right into a sales engagement platform like Outreach and that triggers the cadence? Or is there an intermediary step that companies like Correlated get involved in? 
Yeah, we, we think we're carving out that intermediary step and believe that we can kind of be the orchestration layer in between the product analytics tools. I know you recently had Heap CEO on, so something like a Heap or, or a segment, then tools like Outreach on the other side. And so what we allow you to do is basically discreetly control those different signals, those activation points allow you to set what those are and, and test different ones and see what's working and what's not working, and then plug into tools like Outreach Downstream and, and others as well. And so we, we think that that's a really important role for sales teams so that you know they're able to have control over how they reach out to customers and, and try different things and, and see what's working and what's not working. Yeah, this is really interesting because I was talking to Sam Richard Crowell from OpenView, and we were talking about historic CRMs, the Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics of the world, that a lot of people are looking at integrating their product analytics into the CRM because the CRM is kind of the, I'll call it the revenue intelligence hub across the entire customer lifecycle. What's your position on the CRM vendors becoming the, I'll call it the entry point for sales and customer success people to see that product analytics information. Do you think they can pull it off, Tim? I mean, I think that a lot of companies that we're talking to are starting to put some level of product metrics and CRM in tools like Salesforce. And I think that's great. It makes a ton of sense and they should do that. I think where Salesforce falls short, and I don't want to get too technical since that's not my <laughs> particular strength, but you know, essentially it's a big relational database. And so you're, you're really getting kind of a a single field updated with, you know, a number, for example. And so you can have those metrics show up in a field. And, and that's certainly useful if a salesperson wants to go in and look at it and see, you know, where they are in a particular threshold, a customer is in a particular threshold, that, that could be helpful. And you can also, you know, do some automations, of course, off of that. But, you know, if you want to look at change over time, it's a lot harder to do that in a relational database. And that's sort of how we're architecting what we're doing. So, um, and there's you know other details that I can certainly share with your audience if you'd like as well. Uh, but we think there's room for a, a way to kind of do this that's much more flexible than what traditional CRMs offer, and that's designed from the ground up for product data. And so while a lot of companies are are certainly starting to put that into CRM, we don't think that's the end all be all for this type of data. Interesting. One of the common themes I've heard and everyone I've talked to in a product-led growth kind of model is the growing importance of product qualified leads, kind of usurping marketing qualified leads because it takes product usage and activation point information and creates a lead that now the sales organization reaches out to. They have a much more highly engaged and higher conversion rates to a sell. But that product qualified lead, are there any kind of frameworks or guidelines of what goes into the calculation of what a product qualified lead is? So we don't get into the same friction of, oh, that really wasn't a, a well-qualified lead. So that's my first question, Tim. And second, where do you see most companies actually doing that creation, even scoring of a product qualified lead? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's a really evolving space. And you know, one of the ways that people are using our product is to create, in a sense, something like a product qualified lead. And so we, we see that as a very kind of rapidly evolving space and, and set of tactics. And for product-led growth companies, it makes a ton of sense rather than looking at just how someone is interacting with your website and, and maybe like white papers or other materials that might have historically constituted a, a marketing qualified lead score. Looking at how they engage with your product is important. And you know, some of the ways, the most common things that you could look at that we see across our customers that they're sort of doing pretty universally is, uh, has someone logged in regularly, has a user in an account logged in regularly, or have a majority of users in a given account logged in regularly? 
Uh, and then other things that go a little deeper, are they inviting new users? Are they using specific you know, high value feature? And so these types of behavioral signals based on product usage all can go into uh, either a lead score or we're calling a signal that then gives a sales team context and, and tips them off that a particular account or user within account is worth reaching out to uh, and talking to. And definitely makes a ton of sense for product-led growth companies where that product usage is a key signal that they need to use to do their sales prioritization and, and to find the right people to talk to. So this is a question I hadn't really thought about until we started having our conversation, Tim. So be prepared for this one. So you are helping product-led growth companies orchestrate the information from their product analytics and get it to the sales team. Are you using a product-led growth motion for your own customer acquisition? It's a great question. So today, no, but we are actually in the next few months going to be releasing something that is more self-service that you will be able to sign up for and start using on your own. And that I think is actually a good thing to emphasize. The real definition, if you want to sort of get technical about what product-led growth means and, and what it means to be a product-led growth company is, do you have a, a self-service product? Can you start using that product as an individual user uh, without you know any barrier, without talking to anybody? And so you know, right now today, we're, we're still in a private beta. And so we're talking to everybody before uh, they start using our product and become our customer. But uh, over time, uh, in the next few months, we will release something that is self-service and that will you know, be described as product-led growth. And I'm sure being an entrepreneur and a founder, you went out and probably talked to tens and tens, if not a hundred or more CROs and other entrepreneurs and product-led growth models. Are there any questions I haven't asked you today, Tim, that are common themes that CROs and CEOs are really thinking about to really accelerate the scaling in a PLG model? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I spent a ton of time talking to, and still every day, talk to CROs, VPs of sales, sales managers, depending on you know the size of companies, public companies, um, about uh, this problem and sort of what they see every day, what the problems they face are. And you know, the biggest thing that, that we keep hearing is how expansion and the net dollar retention metric is really important. So for a lot of our customers... Uh, they're actually starting to be quoted on expansion revenue. So not just you know net new revenue or logos or sort of other MBO type objectives you, you might see traditionally in sales. We're actually seeing expansion revenue as a quota and commissioned uh, revenue line. And so uh, that's what we kept hearing over and over again. How do we find you know, revenue from existing customers, existing cohorts that is above and beyond what they're already spending and how do we get them to spend more with our products. And so, you know, a lot of what our early customers are using our, our platform for is to find those existing customers that can then expand beyond where they are today and spend. And obviously that leads back to that core problem that those VPs and, and CROs have. Yeah, that brings up another interesting question is because this is the metrics that measure a podcast. And we talk a lot about leading indicators and lacking indicators. An example, leading indicators for sales are things like productivity ramp, closing first deal, closing second deal, getting the full quota. We talk about sell cycle. We talk about close rates, et cetera. Are there any different metrics that as a sales leader, you should have in place for a PLG company versus a sales-led company? Yeah, it's a great question. So that expansion number I just mentioned, there's a lot of metrics that kind of are built up into that expansion number that sales leaders look at. And so some of the companies that we're talking to have average time to expansion of 365 days. So basically they sign an annual deal and the deal is at that level until it renews and they hopefully expand to 365 days. The better companies we see will sign a new customer and then see expansion within 60 days or even less in some cases. And so a lot of the companies we're starting to work with and sales teams we're starting to work with, keep in mind that particular metric. What's the 
time to first expansion? And can we get that lower? And then they're looking at individual reps and looking at how they're handling expansion. And are they doing a good job on getting that time to expansion lower across their expansion opportunities? How about in the free, whether it's freemium or free trial period model, what about conversion rates, close rates? Do we still hold sales responsible for hitting that 25 or 30% close rate? What do you think? A little bit different in PLG because oftentimes you can see a lot of companies with products that are free for you know a long time and sales doesn't even touch the sort of free self-service customers until they start paying. And, and actually even uh, more to the point, a lot of these companies will have their sales teams only touch paying customers at a certain level or higher. So $1,000, $10,000 a month, whatever it might be. Um, and so in that case, you don't typically see like a free trial type metric that matters for, for sales quite as often as you might've seen in traditional SaaS. So I haven't seen that quite as much. So we, we definitely see more on this focus on expansion metrics as a result. Another kind of topic for B2B sales leaders to think about, I think, in PLG is if you're now really believing in land and expand using a PLG motion, the salesperson who's responsible for expanding, he or she should probably be with that account for one, two, three years and get paid over time for the expansion. Do you see comp plans also changing to reflect this new revenue growth model? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that a lot of the companies that we're talking to struggle with and are trying to calibrate on and, you know, get right. And so, you know, oftentimes there will be some level of time where the sales rep stays engaged and most common to see 12 months, but we've definitely seen some of these companies with that land expand motion, have it be 18 months or even longer. Um, and so, you know, in that case, you're, you're, you know, you're right where you, you do want to have a sales rep, you know, on that account uh, as long as possible to, you know, continue to stay close. We've seen other companies have a, still a, a very clear dividing line where the sales rep is actually taken off immediately and they have the customer success team actually take over, but the customer success team is responsible for upsell and is comped on upsell. So effectively, they're, they're kind of sales, even though they have that, that customer success title. Um, and then another example, which is something that we haven't talked to them or worked with them directly, but Snowflake is an interesting example. They have zero customer success team members. Uh, everyone is, is just in sales and they own the account for the entire lifetime of the account. So they do kind of what you just described, where for you know the whole year's you know tenure of, of a customer or an account, they're on it and they're just set, set quoted on a, a quarterly basis, just based on fulfillment against the spend expectation and usage. So, you know, there's definitely a range of different options that we've seen and heard of in how companies are doing this. And I would say it's still very much uh, evolving over time. Tim, want to pull out your crystal ball and tell me which model you think is going to have the highest performance? You know, I, I think the the Snowflake model is really intriguing to me. It makes a lot of intuitive sense. And while I think customer success is a, a really important function, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with them you know, not having any customer success function. I do think having a salesperson attached to an account for the lifetime of the account, being very aware of what's going on you know, for multiple years uh, and being you know, incentivized through their commission, of course, to make that account as successful and spend more. That makes a ton of intuitive sense to me. Thank you. So last question I have for you before we ask some more personal questions so the listening audience can get to know you a little bit better, Tim. So if you're a head of sales or CRO in a traditional sales-led company and your CEO is talking about or your chief product officer about introducing a PLG model, what do you tell them to do to prepare to make sure that they, their process, their organization's really ready to implement and be successful at a PLG motion? 
It's a great question. And you know, obviously I'm, I'm slightly biased here, but I would say make sure you're imp- instrumenting product analytics data. Make, make sure you are keeping track of what your customers are doing with your product if you're not already. And, and obviously that's important beyond just sales. It's important for the product management side and for the marketing side as well. But that would be, you know, sort of step one as you're starting to embark on that journey of adding in product-led growth as a model to your your product. Make sure you're starting to track everything that's going on and and aware of how your customers are using your product. Because if you're not doing it early, it's going to be a lot harder to to layer it in later. Um, We've we've seen both cases. So that would be my one suggestion. Gotcha. Any questions I didn't ask or any other advice that you would give to founders, entrepreneurs who are thinking about going down this PLG motion beyond making sure they instrument their product analytics correctly? Well, you know, I would say um, the one thing I had mentioned, and Sam, who you referred to before at OpenView, just put out a great resource today about sales and developer tools companies and, and that have a product-led motion. You know, I think one of the misconceptions about product-led is that you don't need salespeople or that you, know, you can kind of have the product, quote-unquote, sell itself. And, you know, we've certainly seen that that's just not true. Um, and so I would say for any founders or, or even folks that are kind of early on the business side at some of these companies, you know, recognize that sales really helps at product-led growth companies sort of add fuel to the machine of self-service and uh, helps your business grow faster. So that would be my uh, my one recommendation to anyone thinking about it. Okay. Well, let's do what a lot of great entrepreneurs do, and that's pivot to get to know you a little bit better, Tim. So you're an early founder of a B2B SaaS company. So which CEO or company do you think is a must follow for entrepreneurs and founders like you? You know, I just uh, met for the first time uh, over the phone, uh, Nick Mate over at Gainsight is the CEO there. And we had a great conversation. He's a, a great follow on Twitter, has a lot of great actionable advice. So I, I would say Nick. Yeah. And if you don't like the Pittsburgh Steelers, you will after you follow Nick. No comment there. <laughs> which tool? Do you think every SaaS company should be using, of course, not your own? Well, I would say Segment would be my recommendation. And Segment is one of the you know, sort of best ways to track what's going on in your product or on your website and understand how your customers are, are using your product. And I would say that's a must have, especially for PLG. Wow, that's interesting because so many people talk more about you know collaboration tools, et cetera. But you went right into you need to understand what people are doing on your website and your product if you're going to invest properly in accelerating growth. That's a good one, Tim. Okay, last one. If you were talking to a very recent college graduate or an early career professional who wanted to be the next great SaaS founder like you, Tim, what's your advice for them to how do they invest in themselves to be a great SaaS founder? Well, you know, I kind of took uh, this path, so I'm probably a little biased, but I think going into sales is, is one of the paths that a lot of people don't do that want to get into startups. They think maybe I should go into product or uh, and obviously be an engineer or, you know, one of those sort of more quote unquote traditional paths to being a founder. But I think sales gives you a really great perspective, especially early on about what customers, you know, need, need how, how to, you know, sort of get to the, the bottom of things and solve problems and, and all that good stuff, especially if you're in sales and early stage startup, you're really going to see a ton and learn a ton. So I, I think that's a really viable path and one that's not often recommended. Uh, I totally agree with you. And one of the things I talk to a lot of early career professionals about is make sure you get as many different experiences as possible. And sales has to be one of those. But it's not bad to be in an SDR sales role for a year or two, go over and get some product experience, maybe in product marketing, et cetera. But I think sales is a critical foundational element to any 
successful founder? Because you probably know, Tim, you're out there selling every day when you found a company, right? <laughs> you are selling, whether it's to try to get customers to use your product or investors to give you money or people to join your company. It's, uh, it's all sales. <laughs> well, that's a wrap to today's episode. And Tim, really appreciate you being a guest today. And for those of you out there who are interested in how you instrument product analytics for sales organizations, highly recommend you take a look at Tim's company, which is correlated. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ray. I really appreciate it. And if you, as listening audience, if you're enjoying the guests and the topics that we're discussing on the Metrics to Measure It podcast, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app and provide us a rating and provide us your comments of how we can be even better and provide even more relevant content for your journey as a B2B SaaS founder and operator. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, Tim. Thanks a lot, Ray. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.